0: Simon Deakin, Director of the CBR, University of Cambridge.
1: Simon, thank you very much indeed for talking to the CBR podcast today about Brexit and alignment. If we look to 2018, what does the Brexit deal that was made by the UK government and Theresa May in December 2017 mean for the future of our Brexit negotiations?
0: Well, what was agreed at the end of December wasn't a treaty or contract, it was simply a joint report under which the UK and EU negotiators said, here's the progress we've made so far, and that was a precondition for heading on to the next phase of negotiations, and the uh, European Commission and the European Council effectively signed off on that at the end of December. So what it means is, in order to get to this point, the UK had to say, we'll align our laws Post Brexit, with the laws of the internal market, and that was a condition for doing a deal on the Irish border, but also more generally for going forward. So what this means is that although it's highly likely that on Brexit Day in March 2019, the UK will of course have left the EU, that's highly likely still to happen. I think, in in reality, most of the same EU laws on the operation of the single market will continue in force in the UK. Uh, possibly for many years to come. So it's a very, very soft Brexit we're now looking at.
1: We also know that the withdrawal agreement envisaged by Article 50, in due course, will be translated into a free trade agreement, a so-called FTA, between the UK and the EU. Will these treaties have legally binding effects?
0: Yes, yeah, so, so of course what was agreed at the end of December isn't yet legally binding, but the idea is in due course there'll be two things. First of all, a withdrawal agreement under which the, the UK will withdraw from the EU, settle its outstanding debts. The withdrawal agreement will also have to deal with the Irish border, and it will have to deal with EU citizens' rights. That agreement must be in place, of course, before the UK leaves in March 2019 then at some future point, there will be a free trade agreement, we we expect, between the UK and the EU. But there's one other thing to bear in mind. There will also be a transitional phase after March 2019, before a free trade agreement comes into force. And in that transitional phase, the EU is currently signalling the UK will have to fully sign up to the Four Freedoms Single Market Law All, in effect, the whole of EU law, the so-called EU acquis, key, for a lengthy period of time, at least two years after Brexit.
1: The EU's price for proceeding to phase two of the negotiations was agreement to alignment of its laws and regulations with those of the EU's single market and customs union. That term, alignment, was it a made-up word? Does it mean anything to you as a lawyer?
0: I think it was a word that was perhaps helpfully invented for this purpose. And the EU treaties refer to other concepts such as harmonisation and approximation of laws. So alignment is is perhaps a, a novel expression in this context, but I think if you read the, the, the background documents to this, including the EU's negotiating guidelines for phase two, it's pretty clear what the EU, I think, will, will say alignment means. It doesn't mean that the UK will have to be in a single market or customs union, but it does mean that the UK will have to make its own laws so as to align with or replicate those of the Single Market and Customs Union. So the form will be different, but the substance will be convergence with EU law.
1: So if we then look at those other terms, harmonisation and approximation, they refer to the convergence of laws too. Explain a little bit more about that, harmonisation and approximation. It's easy to get confused.
0: So harmonisation basically means the, the EU adopts a directive which requires the member states to harmonise their laws. So, for example, the EU has directives on things like health and safety. Once there's a directive, the member state must bring its own domestic, its its national law, into line with that directive. That's harmonisation. It's, it's It's done from the centre. Approximation, occurs when there isn't necessarily um, a directive requiring a member state to act but member states cooperate to bring their laws into line so again they're passing laws which conform to eu standards when a third country like ukraine uh, enters into an association agreement with the eu with a view to having a trade agreement eventually with the EU, and possibly one day membership of the EU, a country like Ukraine agrees to approximate its laws to those of the EU. The directive doesn't bind Ukraine because it's not an EU member state, but the agreement Ukraine has with the EU to approximate its laws over time legally commits Ukraine in international law to pass national laws in Ukraine bringing its laws into line with EU standards. So that's what approximation is, and I imagine that alignment will be very close to that.
1: So its use in the joint report doesn't mean that the UK has agreed to stay in the EU customs union in the single market, but it does signify a significant commitment.
0: What it means is that we won't be in the single market and we won't be in the customs union. We will be in a customs union, like the one Turkey currently has on goods with the EU. We'll, we will be in a version of single market participation may be very similar to the situation Norway or Switzerland are currently in. So it will be possible on Brexit Day in March 2019 for our politicians to say we have left but the reality is that very little else will change.
1: So there are some good initials here the comprehensive economic and trade agreement that the EU has with Canada. Could we adopt that model?
0: Yes. So the EU again is signalling that something like CETA could be the basis eventually for a free trade agreement. And and CETA is a plausible model because the EU has already made that agreement with Canada. So it could be that we'll have a similar agreement to CETA. It could also be that there are elements of the Ukraine Association Agreement which are embedded in a UK-EU free trade agreement. These are all plausible models because they already exist.
1: If we look to Not just the model that we're going to eventually end up with, but that transition period, whether it's going to last two years or 10 years, but implementation phase, as the UK prefers to call it, do we know... Are there any guidelines for that? There are strict rules, but then people seem to be interpreting the rules in a very liberal and haphazard way, is that right?
0: What we know so far is that the negotiating guidelines published by the EU on the 8th of December are going to set out the EU's position and what it wants from the uh, transitional arrangement or implementation phase. The EU has already said what it wants is the whole of EU law to apply to the UK. So this is not yet a free trade agreement with a single market. This is the single market and the customs union applying throughout the transitional phase. The EU is setting out very clearly the UK must abide by the four freedoms, must abide by single market law. That means complete free movement of labour, not just free movement of capital and of goods throughout the transitional period.
1: And could I put you on the spot as a professor of law at the University of Cambridge, how long do you think that transitional period will last? Could it be up to 10 years?
0: I think it'll last more than two years, unless the UK is prepared to drop off at the end of it. If we're negotiating a free trade agreement with the EU, and that's the current government's aim, then it makes no sense to simply stop the transitional period before that agreement is in place. So it could well be that both sides agree, in due course, the transitional period must be more than two years. That remains to be seen. The UK will, will no doubt maintain that it will take less than two years to negotiate a free trade agreement. But that isn't very likely because the CETA agreement took over a decade uh, in effect from, from first contacts to final agreement. And in fact, it still isn't fully enforced because of, of, of various court challenges. I think it's extremely unlikely that there'll be a UK-EU free trade agreement in place in March 2021. Um, It's possible that there will be, but it's not very likely. It's much more likely that the transitional phase will go on for a number of years beyond 2021.
1: And so that means we stick to the four freedoms, including immigration, immigration and abiding by EU laws.
0: It sounds like that's going to be the EU's position. These are the draft negotiating guidelines for the European Council's consideration in December. If they're agreed, the EU, when negotiations resume in 2018, will say to the UK, as part of the withdrawal agreement, we are prepared to enter into a transitional phase with you. But the transitional phase implies full acceptance of EU law, the single market, the customs union.
1: Now, there's been a term called grandfathering. And the government has actually conceded to rebels on both sides or all sides of the house that there is now going to be a special committee set up to scrutinize uh, which laws of the EU we adopt and which we jettison so that by statutory instrument grave and important decisions aren't taken regarding our laws they will be scrutinized by this uh, committee do you think that we will be abiding by EU laws for as long as we can see into the future, perhaps the next decade, even the next two decades?
0: The government's had a consistent plan all along. It's always been aiming for a deep and comprehensive free trade agreement, and it's always been, under the current Prime Minister, it's always been aiming for a transitional period. As part of that, in, in its domestic law, the UK government contemplates, under the bill currently being considered by Parliament, incorporating all of EU law, or pretty much all of it, nearly all of it, into UK law. So our obligations at the moment under EU law to abide by the rules of the single market will become part of UK domestic law after 2019. So the government set things up so we can perfectly well comply with an obligation to respect the four freedoms and the single market going forward. What's being debated this week in Parliament and the committee you refer to is essentially the MPs having power to make sure that the government doesn't use a so-called Henry VIII clause or statutory instrument power to remove important features of what will become UK law, but what was formerly EU law. But of course, if the government's agreed in the withdrawal treaty with the EU to a, a transitional arrangement under which we agree to conform to the single market law, then the government won't be proposing these repeals anyway. So I think what the MPs are doing is putting in place safeguards, in case the government, for whatever reason, decides to depart from its current position or tries to remove important consumer rights or worker rights by a statutory instrument. That's what the MPs are currently uh, doing. That's what they want in the, the bill. And it seems the government's conceded that point. But this doesn't really change anything. The, 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 the government's current position is completely consistent, actually, with what the MPs are proposing, and maybe that's why they've agreed to it.
1: But workers' rights, you're an expert within Europe on workers' rights. You work with trade unions too. They're not going to be able to weaken or soften workers' rights, social policy rights. We, the UK, will be a rule. Taker, not a rule maker during this period we won't be able to water down legislation as perhaps british delegations have done in the past
0: so what that means is that uh, of course we, all, we we take the laws already made and nobody has so far said in government that they want to repeal these laws that david davis and Theresa may both said we're not doing this in order to remove workers rights that's what, that's what they've said as long as we're in the eu we, we can't of course uh, go below the minimum standards set by eu directives and if in a transitional phase we agree to sign up to all the EU a key, we have to maintain them during that t- transitional phase as well. So what we're talking about here is what happens after 2019 if the EU were to adopt new social laws. Under the EU's negotiating guidelines for the uh, next phase of negotiations, the UK will be bound in the transitional period not just by the laws in place on Brexit Day, but by any new directives or other regulations or other types of legal instrument which the EU 27 agree after March 2019. Now, at the moment, the UK can have a say over the making of social laws and can veto some of them. Between 2019 and the end of the transitional period, the UK will have no say over those laws and no veto, but it will have to take them
1: If we look to some of the promises of the Brexiteers, we were going to go all over the world and do trade elsewhere. When can the UK start to trade elsewhere? What does the EU say about that? Because we're uncoupling rather than joining the EU. It's new territory. The rules are really being made up uh, as we and the EU go along. But when will the UK be free to trade with the rest of the world?
0: We're already free to to trade with the rest of the world. But what will happen after Brexit Day, two things, first of all. So um, on March 29th, 2019, when we cease to be members of the EU, even though we're still subject to single market rules in a transitional period, ceasing to be a member of the European Union means that the free trade agreements, which the EU has with 50 or so third countries, will no longer apply to the UK. So agreements the UK currently has through the EU with countries like Korea or with Canada, when CETA finally comes into force, we will no longer benefit from those agreements from 2019. We won't have any preferential free trade agreements with anybody. They won't be grandfathered and they won't roll over. They have to be renegotiated. So of course, correspondingly from 2019, we get the freedom to negotiate those deals that we didn't have before, but also the necessity to negotiate those deals. Now, another question then would be Can we negotiate deals with third countries with whom the EU doesn't currently have a free trade agreement, like America or China? The answer to that is yes, we have new freedom to negotiate those deals. The EU is already trying to negotiate deals or is moving towards such negotiations with countries like China or the US, but from 2019 the UK can do its own deals with those countries. However, if the UK has agreed to abide by the EU's single market rules, either in the transitional period, or even after that, in a deep and comprehensive free trade agreement with the EU, that commitment that the UK will make to abide by the internal market rules, alignment, as we've been calling it, will rule out certain types of trade agreements with third countries, because the UK will not be able to go below the floor of protections or regulations implied by the EU's internal market when it tries to negotiate with the US, for example, or China. So actually, we'll have the formal freedom to negotiate free trade agreements and the necessity to do so, but our practical room for manoeuvre will be very severely limited if things develop as they appear to be developing right now.
1: So the UK won't be able to undercut standards or the trade agreement standards that have already been drawn up. We won't be able to import those chlorine washed chickens.
0: I think that's where we're heading. We're not there yet, but I think that's where we're going. If we're in the single market and customs union in a transitional phase, we definitely won't be able to. But even if we have this deep and comprehensive free trade agreement, if that commits us to abiding by internal market rules and we're obliged to agree to alignment going forward, and we may well be, that may well be the EU's bargaining position, and they're in a very strong bargaining position. We're not in a strong bargaining position. That's become obvious, hasn't it, over the past few months. We may well find the EU saying, yes, uh, if you want this deal, it's on the table, you can take it, but you will therefore not be able to enter into a free trade agreement with the United States, which departs significantly from EU standards. You won't be able to converge with American standards, and you won't even be able to agree to a, a US deal, based on mutual recognition, that is, anything which goes in the US would go in the UK and vice versa, because you won't then be able to import chlorinated chickens in case they then circulate within the wider EU internal market and customs union, which we would in effect be part of, and even under a deep and comprehensive free trade agreement.
1: So basically, the UK has already ceded its regulatory autonomy to the EU, and so at thus restricting its ability to do trade deals with third countries. Why? Because I thought that's why the Brexiteers wanted to Brexit.
0: I think that's that's right. That's where we're heading. Of, of course, nothing is agreed. Heading
1: through. or are we there yet?
0: No, we're, we're not there yet because what was agreed at the end of December is only a joint report. But when it becomes part of the withdrawal treaty, when we know what the transitional phase means, when we're heading towards an, an FTA with the European Union that's deep and comprehensive, if all these things happen, and this is what the... December joint report is setting out as a pathway to future EU-UK relations. If all these things come to pass, the UK will have given up much of the freedom which some Leave campaigners argued it should have to negotiate different types of trade agreements with third countries. And I think we will get there because the EU is pushing very strongly for this and is in a much stronger bargaining position than the UK is to set the deals of any future EU-UK trade agreement. Now, if that's the pathway, the question is, why is the UK setting itself on this pathway? Why did it not just say to the EU at the end of December, We're not, we, don't, we, don't, we don't want to be on this path, we want to be on a different path, complete regulatory freedom, complete freedom to deal with third countries like China and America? I think the simple answer to that question, first of all, the proximate cause is the Irish border. It's not possible to have an agreement with the EU that deals with the Irish border problem but also allows the UK complete freedom to do these deals and complete regulatory autonomy these deals with third countries. So that's the proximate cause. They had to solve the Irish border problem to get to the end of the phase one negotiations. But looking ahead, the ultimate cause of this is the reason why the UK can't just walk away from this pathway that's been set out is the hard Brexit alternative. It seems the government has balked at that because it's very unattractive. <laughs>